Well, good morning. It is a pleasure to be with you. Welcome, and to those who are watching as well online, I'm often with you as I travel. I, I sort of watch online, so welcome to you who are doing that just now, and happy belated, slightly belated, Thanksgiving to you all. Uh, it's, uh, I love you Americans. You, you know how to celebrate the good life. You took a month, November, which in the old world where I come from, there's nothing going on for it. Wet, windy, cold. And you inserted into it a celebration with fun and family and football and food and food and food. And not just any food, sweet food. Everything's sugary, right? Even the cornbread casserole and sweet potatoes with marshmallows. I mean, we haven't even got to dessert yet. It's, it's brilliant. It's like a day in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I love it. You live in what is said, uh, and rightly so, the truth that food is God's love made delicious. That's wonderful, isn't it? Well, today we're going to talk about the good life, the blessed life. Set yourself, it's blessing as defined by God, not by you, and not by society. What he deems to be blessing. So turn with me to Psalm 133, please. Uh, and I want to help you see there in that song uh, a celebration. And the celebration is of the key to God's blessing in life. Beginning with your home life, your family life, but spilling out of that into all areas of society. Society prospers when your home flourishes, when God blesses your home, and, and so I want you to see that. So turn to Psalm 133, it's 519 in the Pew Bible, if you need a copy of the Scriptures, there's one right under your chair. And a lot of you have been asking me repeatedly about how my three-year-old James is doing. So I have to give you another adventure of mine with James as you head in that direction. Now, I'm having to dig deep because I'm running out of illustrations with him. But here's one that uh, has blessed me. I'm a blessed man. James' favorite game these days is appropriately called Let's Fight. I love it. Let's fight. He, 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 it's fun fight. He snarls up his little face like he's, like he's a wild cat ready to pounce, and he comes at me, usually knees first. <laughs> uh, and he loves dinosaurs as well, so he knows the basics, that you've got meat eaters, yay, and you've got the leaf eaters, boo, right? You've got the carnivores and the herbivores, and and so, when he comes for a game of let's fight, he usually lays down some ground rules, and, and they go, they're quite simple. They go like this. Okay, Dad, I'm going to be the T-Rex, and you can be a chicken. <laughs> and he spins it so positively so that I'm sort of caught up in the, wow, yeah, I get to be the chicken when there's no way the chicken's going to win in a good game of let's fight. And, and so I love it, and he shouts, game on, and on it goes. We roll around the carpet as he eats me up, the chicken. I love it. I'm a blessed man. That's the good life. God designed for three-year-old boys 
to wrestle with their dads for fun. Secular psychologists tell us that's healthy to a child's development. That's hardwired by God. And I get to do it, and it's a blessing. When that happens, I'm entering God-designed bliss, a type of blessing that money can't buy. Money couldn't possibly buy that. Sometimes, lately, as he attacks, I, just before he launches his attack, I say, I want to be a T-Rex too. And that throws him back. You know, this, how's this going to go if, if we're both T-Rexes? Somebody has to be the chicken. He doesn't like that. But, but he's quite diplomatic, so he stops. He says, okay, 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 Dad. We can both be T-Rexes. You be the mummy T-Rex, and I'll be the daddy T-Rex. <laughs> Genius. I'm a blessed man. Family moments like that are good. And they're pleasant. They're pleasurable. But family life is not always blissful, right? It can take the wrong turns regularly. Recently, I was taking the kids to school in the morning, and my 12-year-old informed me that she was on snack duty at her Bible study group. And so I said, oh, okay, well, that, that's, I'm not happy about it being launched upon me now. I just grab a bag of apples. Oh, no, 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 no. Everyone always brings donuts the Bible study. Of course, I'm thinking, good grief, donuts, how many? She goes, two dozen. I'm thinking, 24 donuts for 12-year-old girls studying the Bible just after breakfast? $20 plus, and I'm not even going to get a donut. This is ridiculous. I was starting to get a little hot under the collar. But I thought I'd just cool it a little bit, and I said, okay, let's, let's do that. And I justified it with perhaps these are 50 young, godly women in the making who are going to change society for Christ in tomorrow's generation. Let's, let's go with that. And so I sort of accidentally really said at some point, oh, yeah, how many are in the Bible study? Six. <laughs> Six girls. In the Bible study, I'm buying 24 donuts. That's four donuts each. After breakfast, I was mad. And I took it out in her, and it was unfair to do so. That wasn't good. That wasn't pleasant. I very quickly went from Bible study supporter backer to Bible study persecutor. <laughs> that wasn't a donuts with Bible study. That, to me, was a donut scam. You know, like, like the emails you get from Nigeria. I'm apparently the wealthiest man in Nigeria. I keep winning the lottery over there. It was a scam like that one. But I reacted wrongly, and I was mad, and I apologized to her. Family life can also take the wrong turn. It's, it's easy for that to happen, even with the ones we love most in life. Because they bicker about who's in the front seat, right? Or who's going to empty the dishwasher. Or just yesterday, I was in Costco. I got to the front of the queue at the checkout desk. And one of my children dropped the garlic and basil tomato sauce jar right on my foot. It didn't smash, but it blew the lid off it. And the lid went all over my feet. And I was wearing flip-flops. 
I mean, every single toe of mine was bathed in garlic and basil, tomato sauce, as the 20 or 30 or 40 people behind me giggled, <laughs> which I would too, and I find funny now, but I didn't at the time. At the time, I was mad. It was the wrong reaction. That's not good, and that's not pleasant. And, and I'm only talking about parenting in family life, right? I'm not going to go to marital family life. I'm, I'm brave, but I'm not that brave. There, there are turns that are, are made there that aren't good and that aren't pleasant and aren't what God designed for family life. I need help. Psalm 133 provides help to those of us who want to inhabit a type of world that's blissful as God designed it to be, beginning with your home. I need a daily dose of what's there because there we have the key to God's blessing in family life and work life and your neighborhood's life and church life. It spills out into society. Now, I've already established that you Americans love food. Well, God's word is food. And so we're gonna feast in God's word. We're gonna pig it out, which means that we're gonna go hard we're going to go strong, so I need you to focus really hard for the next 20 minutes because there's wonderful and sweet truths in there that I don't want you to miss. So let's get at it. Look at verse 1 because the psalmist presents for us up front his main point. This is what it's all about, up front. It's actually an expression of delight. It's an expression of delight, but as it expresses delight in a certain type of life, it actually casts a vision before you and invites you to enter that vision and to bring that vision down into your home as the reality this week. So it's an expression of delight, but, but it, it calls upon you to live a certain way. Let me show you. Verse 1 starts with the word, behold. Behold. Now, it's so easy to read right past that. Don't. That's the only word in this psalm that calls you to attention as a reader. That's, that's the command, uh, the only command that's laid out toward you in this psalm. It, it simply means consider this. Look at this. Fix your gaze upon this. Stare at that. Watch that. Pick your analogy. All of them are there. They all mean behold. Behold. Look at what? Well, look at how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Two things there. How good and how pleasant. The ESV drops off one of the hows, which makes it sound like the pleasant is the good, but it's not. It's how good and how pleasant. Look at how good, how right, how proper it is when brothers dwell together in unity. More than that, look how pleasurable it is when you live in what's right and what's proper and what's good, which is brothers dwelling together in unity. It is good and it is pleasurable. We're dealing here with the emotional experience of beholding a certain type of living. Living as God designed it. Living God's way is good and it's pleasant. Now, underline the word dwelling there if you have a copy of your own scriptures because 
I want you to you get that we're not talking about temporary living here. We're talking about dwelling, abiding together. This is permanent life together. This is day-to-day life. This is Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday with, with those you love most. We're, the psalm begins with the physical family, those who look most like you. That's why the word their brothers is accurate. It, it really means kin, relatives. But remember, this is a psalm of ascent, a psalm of ascent. That's the series we're in. And a psalm of ascent is is the psalm that's sung by the family of faith, the community of believers, as they gather together and journey toward Jerusalem to worship. So within this psalm, we begin with your family life at home, but extends beyond that to those around you, your family of faith, our church, the brotherhood of believers, So we're talking about regular life, day-to-day life amongst those who look like you and who believe like you, brothers and sisters in Christ. Also uh, note uh, that this dwelling together is not any type of dwelling. It's a certain type of dwelling, underlying the word unity. That's key here. This is not just a life that puts up with one another. This is a life that's in harmony with one another. That's what unity means there. It means harmony. A a diversity of people, be it in your household or here in our fellowship, coming together with a single purpose because we belong to the same group, because we believe the same things, because we want to behave in the world in light of our Lord. That's harmony. It's like our orchestra here when they play. That's a very diverse group with very diverse instruments all coming together with different distinct instruments to bring about one effect. And because they're very, very good, they bring it about, which is what? They lead us in worship. Unity does not mean no diversity. Unity actually means diversity coming together on a united front because we're a family. It is right, this psalm says. It is pleasurable, this psalm says, when family live in harmony, live in unity. Behold, look, focus on the bliss of that. That's the good life. So here's the point that's made in the first verse. God's vision for his world is unity in your world. God's vision for his world is harmony in your world. You benefit. We benefit. Beginning at the family level and spilling out into the national level. Listen, it's, it's what God's vision for the world was from the very start. Read Genesis 1. As he designs the world in which we live to operate as he designed it, he says it's good. Same word. It's good, second day. Good, third day. Good, fourth day. Good, fifth day. Very good, sixth day. That's the way he designed it to operate. And on the seventh day, he rests, not because he's exhausted, because he puts his feet up to enjoy the pleasure 
of his world working as he envisioned it. God's good, right, and pleasant, pleasurable vision for the world is what he wants in your world, in your home, in your relationships. It comes with unity. It comes with, a, with, with harmony. So that's the point that's laid out up front. The psalmist then follows this up with two pictures, two visuals, two portraits of what that good and pleasant type of harmonious life is like. And he's grasping at examples of in the concrete world of the psalmist because he's trying to capture an emotion, right? The bliss of living in the harmony that God designed us to live in. So uh, here we have them, verses 2 and a little bit into the beginning of verse 3. That type of family life, verse 2 says, is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar, or some translations, on the edges of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. Now I know, how does that help? <laughs> right, Mr. Psalmist, David, you're meant to give us two analogies that we can connect with. We've got beards here, and I know beards are back in, but beards sound scruffy to me, and, uh, and, and we've got oil being poured over some guy, and I'm thinking cooking oil, and who wants to be bathed in cooking oil? I mean, you smell like a French fry, and who wants that? How, how is that the picture of bliss, right? And, and then in verse 3, picture 2, we have Herman. Who's Herman? <laughs> the only Herman I know is Herman the monster. Yeah, you were thinking it. You just didn't want to say it. That's the only Herman I know, and he must be a Jew, honey, because that pastor up there said Jew, and, uh, but my Bible says do. Side note, I can't say do and take myself seriously. I couldn't go home to Northern Ireland and say do. We say Jew. So you're going to have to do the translation for me. When I say Jew, you think moisture. Do. Don't think person. A Jew. Okay? But how are these analogies helpful? That's my point. How are these helpful to us? Well, let me help you out with them. Picture number one emerges, emerges in verse two, where the psalmist zooms in on a person. Godly unity that God wants in your family life is like precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of iron, running down on the collar or the edges of his robes. Here we have a person who's bathed in not cooking oil, but expensive fragrant, ceremonial oil. Think expensive moisturizing cream when your skin is real dry. Right? Think aloe vera cream, right? Whenever you've burnt your skin in the sun. That, that's good. That's pleasurable. That's what's going on here. But, but the portrait is actually more than that. This is the dedication of a person to the service of God. Here we have not just any priest. Here we have the first priest, Aaron. It's Aaron's beard, right? It's Aaron's head. 
It's Aaron's robes that are being bathed, smothered, saturated, drenched in sacred oil. The dedication of a life to the service of God, being fully committed, fully drenched, head to toe. What this image is projecting is that godly unity, like the one we're after in verse 1, is like a sacred service to God. And that is personally fulfilling. You want to live out God's desire for your life? Serve Him. That's bliss. A life at home that is harmonious is as good as offering sacred service up to God. That's what's going on there. Now look at the second picture or visual at the beginning of verse 3. It's like Jew. Do. Where we zoom out, right? We zoomed in on a person. Now we zoom out on the nation, the ge- geography of the land, to, to look at what godly type unity and harmony is like. It's like the Jew of Hermon. Hermon's not a person. Hermon's a mountain. The Jew of Hermon, which falls upon the mountains of Zion. Again, a little bit hard for us to get our head around because we don't live there and we don't live then. But think of a warm, hot, sweaty Texas summer. And then think about going into the air conditioning. That feels good. That's refreshing. The psalmist is trying to grasp at concrete analogies that capture the feeling that we encounter when we go into air conditioning when it's 100 plus degrees outside. It's, it's refreshing. This is a, a portrait of an, an agricultural land and an a, agricultural society that can be quite dry in the south being watered from the north from the highest peaks, the peak of Mount Hermon. It's not that the actual Jew of Hermon can make it all the way down to Zion. That's quite a distance. But it's like Hermon-type moisture, the best morning dew that's possible, they conceived of, falling upon the mountains of Zion. This analogy speaks of a life of bliss to a farming society where, where the fields are so drenched in moisture that they can produce, they can be fertile. They can flourish. Godly unity in your home can be like that. It can be a refreshing service to society. Beginning with your little part of society, your home, and extending on outward, it is potentially nationally fruitful. Society flourishes and prospers in peace and harmony and unity. It's two interesting, albeit initially baffling, images to us. Now, why does God like that type of harmonious living? Well, look at verse 3, where the purpose of this godly unity is laid out. Uh, the, the latter half of verse 3, it says this, For there the Lord has commanded or decreed the blessing." Life forevermore. For there the Lord has commanded or decreed the blessing, life forevermore. 
It's because of there. Well, what's there? That's the big question. That's, that's the million-dollar question. What does there point to? Two places. The first one is the theme of the psalm. It points all the way back up to verse 1. Unity. There, in the context of unity, let me say it a little bit clearer. When Murphy doesn't go mad at his child for throwing garlic and basil tomato jar all over his feet, God blesses. When he doesn't go mad at the cost of a donut scam, God blesses. I could go on all day. I have four kids. <laughs> and I was in Hobby Lobby the other day on a duty my wife sent me to because it was 80% off all those fall pumpkins, and I nearly lost it. <laughs> there, in the context of harmony and unity, God has committed himself to bless. God will not bless conflict. God will not bless life-functioning contrary to the way he designed it. Godly unity unlocks God's blessing. Godly unity unlocks God's blessing. That's what, that's what is happening here at the very end of that little psalm. The psalmist is saying that godly unity actually activates God's unlocking the storehouses of his blessing by his choice, he's committed himself to do that. That's Psalm 133. Now, if you're anything like me, you're like, okay, yeah, but you're not giving me any help yet. Here's the big one. How do we live and enter into that godly unity? That's the big issue here. Remember I told you you Americans love food and that this is food? We're getting to the glazed ham. That's my favorite bit, portion of our feasting. So again, I need you to focus because there's a lot of details coming at you now, but I think they're beautiful because I think this psalm, by God's design, is pointing forward. It's actually built into this psalm a pathway forward for you and for me this week. Let me, let me show you. Look at that there again in verse 3. Circle it. It's really important. Circle it. Underline, important. Circle, really important. It doesn't just point up to unity in verse 1 like I told you earlier. Remember I told you there was a second place it points to? It points to the word, just a few words before it. Verse 3, on the mountains of Zion, for there, Zion, the Lord has commanded the blessing. Zion, Jerusalem, is the place where God has decided and commanded to bring the, the blessing from. And the blessing, remember, last word in the psalm is life forevermore. So take a mental note of that, chew on that little bit of ham, and now add this one to it. Look at the direction that these analogies are flowing in the psalm, the oil and the Jew. The oil runs down on the beard. The oil runs down from the beard onto the collar. The Jew falls upon Zion. In our English translations, the translators, for whatever reason, try and mix it up in the way they translate it. 
And that's fine. I get why they do it. But in the Hebrew text, it's the same phrase. Coming down upon, coming down upon, coming down upon. It's as though the psalmist wants you to catch the flow of the blessing that's coming upon the harmonious home. It's coming down from above. This blessing of godly unity that brings bliss, goodness, and pleasure into my home descends from above. Now, remember that and add this next little piece of meat to it. Why those two very baffling images? I mean, I get that they didn't have moisturizing cream like we do, aloe vera, etc., and they didn't have air conditioning, so he wasn't going to pick that. But why a high priest picture? And why a Zion picture? The New Testament helps us understand that. Remember, the same God wrote Psalm 133 that wrote the New Testament. In the New Testament, we see that Jesus Christ is our high priest. A high priest better than Aaron, who's mentioned, remember. Hebrews chapter 4. And we're told that in his high priestly prayer, he prayed for you. And he prayed for me. And you know what he prayed? That there would be unity. That we would live in unity. And then remember Christ's salvation of humanity on the cross is referred to in 1 Peter 2.6 as a cornerstone that was laid in Zion. It's all, it's all coming together. This psalm is pointing forward to where God was ultimately going to send his blessing of everlasting life from Zion through the ultimate high priest who serves God and who serves you before God. It's beautiful. This, this psalm is a song that celebrates the key to God's blessing in family life, in work life, in neighborhood life, in Texas life, in church life. And the key is a person. The key that unlocks the blessing of God is a person. It's Jesus Christ. In my opinion, this is a, a prophetic psalm. So here's my application, and with this I leave you. Remember that little word that we started the psalm with, behold, that we were going to run right past at night, sort of put the brakes on you? The only word in the psalm that actually gives you a command, consider this, watch this, fix your gaze upon this, look here. It's key. So here's my application. Look, behold, there. What's there? The person and the work of Jesus Christ. Look there. Look to him on a daily basis. If you want to unlock God's blessing in your life, because without him there is no unity in your home. Without him, there is no unity, no harmony in your neighborhood. There's no harmony in our society. Look there to Jesus Christ. 
his person and his work every, every day. I see no way of entering my day well with all the challenges that are going to come my way, right? With bickering over front seats, donut scams, tomato sauce in my feet. Unless I have spent time with him. I need to prepare him room every day. I need to prepare him room every morning. Now, I'm not saying you have to spend time with him in the morning, but I need to. But we need to look to him on a daily basis if we want to unlock God's blessing on our home life and beyond. There's a sign that sits above the mantle or on the mantle in our home, just above the fire, and below the television. And it says this, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. I didn't know it was a song. We just sang it a few moments ago. There you go. I didn't buy it in Hobby Lobby. <laughs> that wasn't the one that was on offer. I didn't place it where it's placed and it's there all the time. But here's what it does to me every morning when I get up and reach for the remote control to start watching TV. It stops me. In the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. If dad doesn't spend time looking at Jesus every day, family life doesn't go the way it should go. I'm not the dad that the Jesus wants me to be. I'm, I'm not the husband that Jesus wants me to be. I'm, I may be the only one here. I may be the odd one out. But it seems to me that I have a setting that is activate when I sleep. When I go to sleep at night, it seems that I default back to a mindset of, look to me. Look at me. And I get up in the morning, and I want to take on the world for my, for my pleasures, for my purposes. And unless Jesus steps in and I look to him early on, I go in that direction. That's the path I take. That's not the path forward of this psalm. It's calling you to behold, to look at, to contemplate, to fix your gaze upon Jesus Christ every day if you want to live as God designed your home life and beyond to be like. It's beautiful. Listen, the truth is you uphold in your life what you behold. There's no doubt about it. You want in life what you watch. What you look at continually is what you live for continually. And this psalm is saying, look to him. Look to Jesus. You look to him, you live for him. That brings a happy home. If it helps for you to remember Psalm 133 this week, next time you moisturize with some cream, or you put the air conditioning on, might not be today. Think this, how good, how right, and how pleasant it is in my life when I look to Jesus, when I look to him. American friends, we feasted. Food is God's love made delicious, but it doesn't come close to feasting on Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's love made delicious. Look to him. Father, we thank you for Psalm 133 and how it speaks from a community of faith long ago to the community of faith today. It points us toward the ultimate blessing, a person, our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us live 
for him as we look to him every day. Amen.